Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would lead and guide me by your spirit today as I preach your word. Put a guard over my mouth and over my heart, Lord. Help me to uh, stay with your word. God, and I also pray for each of us that uh, as we hear your word, that you would use it, Lord, to produce fruit for your glory. God, I thank you that your word is pretty upfront, but our stubborn hearts can be so resistant of it. And I pray that you would help us to submit to your word and your lordship, Lord, in all things. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was interesting preparing for this particular sermon. And more than once, I thought, if I were preaching this sermon 20 years ago, it'd be different. I would approach it differently in the sense that... uh, Those of us that are a little older, we had beliefs about um, the United States that were probably idealistic, a little bit unrealistic. You know, the, the, the government did no wrong, and we were a Christian nation, and all we had to do was get enough people, and we would change all of the United States. And then in the last couple of years, all of a sudden, the, the veil has been removed, and you start seeing things that you thought, really? I... You know, it's probably not new, but I'm just kind of caught off guard. And so what we do is we come here to today in God's Word. It is the longest New Testament passage dealing with Christians and the government. It's the longest. And what we're going to find is that the truths that are here apply to various forms of government. And the reason being is that the Bible does not mandate one type of government over another. So... uh, This relates to everyone around the world in whatever government it might be. All the governments, all the officials that are running the states or the the countries, whatever it might be, counties, whether they be good or bad, whether they're heathen or God-fearing, they were given their power and their authority by our sovereign God. God is the one who put them in place. That's going to be hard for some to accept even now, but that's what the Word of God says. Now, sometimes the argument is this, that God didn't, what God did was he ordained the institution of government, not the specific leaders. The problem with that is it's not consistent with God's Word. Sounds like a good argument, but it's not a biblical argument. And I'll show you, here's just a few examples in God's Word. Jeremiah 27, 6 This is God speaking. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? Wow. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all these guys, there's a lot of stuff that Nebuchadnezzar did that was not supporting their faith. And then you look at John 19, 10 through 11, Jesus standing in front of Pilate. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? 
Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate wouldn't have had any authority. He was given that authority from above is what Jesus is saying. And then we go back all the way to the book of Revelation and take a look at what's going to happen in the future. Revelation 13, 5 through 7. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Sometimes the things in God's word make us uncomfortable. This is one of those areas of scripture that we really struggle with. I know I do. But I can't get past God's word. Numerous times in my life, I've come across, uh, across what I call a crisis of faith. I have a choice to either believe God's word or to just continue to believe what I want to believe because God's word was so black and white. And this is one of those situations today where God's word is pretty clear. It's just that our hearts really, really struggle with what it says. We'll realize this, that chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, do not deal with rebellious governments. That's not what they deal with. But what they approach is the attitude and conduct of rebellious Christians who do not want to submit to civil authorities operating within God's give, God-given parameters. It's about us, not about the governments is what it's about. Take a look at God's word again. Romans 13, it's actually 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, that word resist, it literally means has taken a stand against what God has appointed, literally the ordinance of God. And those who resist will, will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And if we go back to the previous chapter, we see that the government is, is basically needs to do what God called us to do. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So we see there's a parallel there. Paul is coming out of Romans chapter 9 talking about how we are to love our enemies and he goes right into the government. Again, this was not Paul's great idea. This is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who inspires God's written word. And so when we look at that, we say, boy, what a coincidence. It wasn't a coincidence at all. As I, as I was thinking, you know, boy, God, how many of us would, would forget we've just left uh, the Romans chapter uh, 12, 14 through 21 and, and just forget what it said there and then just go into 13, 1 and decide how we're going to respond just by what we read there. And you can't. You can't separate the word of God. It's put together in a specific way for a specific purpose, and we're seeing that today. So the main point today is this. 
We need to submit to God by submitting and cooperating with authorities over us whenever possible. Whenever possible. It says here that God has a purpose for the government. Whatever government it is, again, doesn't matter. Whatever purpose it is, God has uh, a, a purpose for them. And it's for this. For peace and order in society. That there would be peace and that there would be order in society. And that what this government would do is it would reward or protect the good law-abiding people and punish the evil lawbreakers for what? So that there wouldn't be anarchy. So that there wouldn't be vigilante justice. So that there wouldn't be mob rule. God knows. This is one of those situations where you say, eh, boy, I really struggle with some of this stuff. Well, is God wiser than we are or not? We have, we, that's, that's one of the questions we have to get to and, and answer in our own hearts. Is God wiser than we are? Here's the problem that we struggle with. Here's kind of where 20 years ago I read that. I would have maybe moved in a different direction. But now today seeing what's happening, we realize this. That due to sin, those in authority often misuse their authority for their own benefit. That's just the truth. And we're seeing it more and more. Corrupt government officials punish law-abiding people. But it says here, it's different. And what they will do is they will reward the scoundrels that keep them in power. I mean, that's a statement that we all could agree with regardless of which side you stand in, in, in a political view. You would say, yeah, that's true. It's true about the, only the other side is what we would say. Okay? And what happens is this. Many actions or policies by the government contradict our Christian values. That's just the truth. And so we're tempted to see government as God's opponent, as God's enemy, not as his ordained servant, his instrument, as what Scripture calls the government. You see how easy it is to get an unbiblical view of what is happening around us, and we have to look at God's word and say, this is what it says. It's not complicated. It says very clearly that there is no authority except from God. None. Zero. None whatsoever. It's all from God. And it is instituted by God. Good, bad, the ugly, whatever. God's got a purpose. I like what, how John Calvin put it. He said, we get the rulers we deserve. So God can use rulers to bring uh, justice, but also... To, um, to punish his own people because we're rebellious against him. We see that in Nebuchadnezzar. We see that in the Romans over and over again. And so we think that if we disagree with the government in any way, one issue, two issues, whatever it might be, then we feel like what we should do is we think we, our only option is total defiance. We disagree with this, we disagree with that, so we're going to totally defend. We're not going to, we don't want anything to do with the government. The government is evil. That's not what Scripture says. 
So what do we do? Well, there are certain situations that the Bible condones and even promotes that we would civilly disobey in certain conditions, in certain situations. For example, if the government says that you should, um, if the government says that it forbids you to do what God requires, or if it requires you to do what God forbids, those are the cases. We can think of our own lives in the last couple of years. And we say, well, where do we stand on some of these things? The elders had wrestled against uh, with these things. Where do you stand? We look at it and we realize that if we can't obey, then we need to demonstrate a submissive spirit when we civilly disobey. I'll give you examples in Scripture. Daniel, number one. What did Daniel do? They passed an edict. You cannot pray to your God, no one except to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel just said, no, I can't do that. You're telling me to do something God, uh, not to do something that God commands me to do. And so he goes and he says, hey, I'm going to pray. No matter what it costs me, I am going to pray. And he did. He didn't make a big deal out of it. He didn't say, oh, you know, we're going to form a posse or whatever. He just did what God called him to do, willing to suffer the consequences of his stand for Christ, for his stand for God. And you know where it led him? The lion's den. That's where it led him. There was a cost. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So with Daniel, the king said, you can't do what God says. And then with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the the king said, you need to sin. You need to bow down to me. And I love, I, I still remember Keith Green's cover on one of his albums. And it was the No Compromise album. And it showed everybody on the, on the cover all bowed down, and there were three guys standing up. Keith Green, No Compromise. Right? King said, you'll bow down to me as God. He said, I can't do it. Won't do it. They were willing to pay the cost, and the cost there was the furnace. So God, they were thrown into the furnace, and by God's grace, he spared them. What about Queen Esther? Queen Esther was, according to the law, she was not up to approach the king unless called for, even as his wife, one of many probably. She was not allowed to approach him unless he called for her. And she said, you know what? I am going to approach him. I feel strongly about this. I am going to approach him. And she did. But what we see in these situations is that they disagreed what was said that they needed to do. They civilly disobeyed, but they did it with respect. They did it with, with uh, honor, in a sense. But they stood for what God had said was the truth, and they were willing to take the consequences. And that's really where we're at. You see, we look at it and we see, well, you know, if the government tells you this and, and, and you disagree with it, then we don't obey the government at all. You know, when you think of Daniel, did he obey the government? Yeah, even when it came to food. If you remember, they captured Daniel. They brought him into Nebuchadnezzar's court and basically said, here's what you're going to eat. And Daniel said, listen, we're by, by our religion, we're not allowed to do that, to eat that. 
So I'll tell you what. How about you do this? You give us this amount of time, and we'll just eat what we're called to eat, and you guys can eat what, whatever you want to, and then just check to see who's healthier at the end of that time. The king said, all right. And what happened was is Daniel and Meshach and Abednego said, okay, we can do that. And when the king looked, sure enough. You see, he approached them with respect. He approached the king with respect. But he stood strong on what he was convicted of. And that's the challenge for today. It's how can we do that? How can we stand for God's truth in a society and particularly in a government that is drifting farther and farther away from really embracing Christian values. And we just have to say that. I praise God for the uh, Roe versus Wade, you know, overturning. That was wonderful. 50 years of prayer. You know, God did a miracle there. But there's other battles that are out there. And we all know about that. We've all sensed them in our hearts. So how do we move forward? Why should we submit to the government? Well, According to God's word, there are two reasons. First of all, as he laid out in these verses, to avoid punishment. Okay? To avoid punishment. Again, if we feel that God is calling us to stand on a strong conviction that his word clearly points out is wrong, then we have to be willing to pay the cost of that. And if the government says, well, this is the penalty for doing that, then we have to be willing to pay that penalty to stand for Christ. So the first one is to avoid punishment. But the second one is interesting because God's word says another reason why you submit to the authorities over you is so that your conscience is clear, so that you would have a clear conscience. Take a look at God's word. Romans 13, 5 through 7. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also to the, for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Pretty clear. So it's saying here that we need to pay taxes. That's what it says. Now I'll say this. We don't have to pay more taxes than we owe, and we should take every break that we can get when we do our taxes, but the bottom line is, if we owe taxes, we should pay them. That's what it says here. And that we should give the proper respect to government officials. That's also part of submitting. Your argument would be this, because these were my arguments. What if you disagree with the way that the tax money is being spent? What about that? I mean, isn't that enough to not pay taxes? The problem is when this was written. You see, Paul wrote this to the Romans, and at that time, Nero was in charge. He didn't start slaughtering Christians quite yet. But the tax money that was brought into Nero and the Roman government was uh, divided out so that they could build temples for worship of the emperor. You can't get around this stuff. So you could say, well, I disagree with the way that all the money is being spent, So because of, or some of the money is being spent, so I'm not going to pay my taxes at all. I look at it and I go, well, but this is the problem. 
Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit during a time where the guy who was in power was anti-Christian. And his policies were anti-Christian. And they were going to get worse. So what happens is, is it says, you know what? We need to pay our taxes even if we disagree with the way that all the money is being spent. Because the bottom line is most of that money goes to what? National defense. All kinds of things that we need, even locally when you pay your taxes locally, that provides the police officers that we need. It pays their salary. What's Again, go back. What's the purpose of the government? Peace and order. That's what God says the purpose of the government is, to provide peace and order. And so the majority of our finances go towards those types of things. Are there other things that they go to that we disagree with? Absolutely. It doesn't matter which political spectrum you're on. Some people would say just the idea that we would give any money for national defense is wrong. That's fine if you feel that way. You still got to pay your taxes. That's just the way it is. And the one that I struggle with is the next one. What about respect and honor? You know, you might have people in authority who just bold-faced lie. And they're caught lying. I mean, it's clear they're lying. I mean, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. And they're up front and they're bald-faced lying. How do you respond to that? I struggle with this. And regardless of who the president is, there's people on both sides of this who would say, well, he lies all the time. And they're convinced of that, and they'll lay it out here and there. The truth of the matter is, is that there is, what God is calling us to is this. You respect the position, especially if you cannot respect the person. That's where the word honor comes in. So we respect the position. This person is our president, or this person is our, our governor, or this person is our town whatever, chairman. They have a position. And if through their activities and through their statements, they prove to be not honorable people, we still have to respect them for their position. But we give honor to whom honor is due, and you have to earn honor. That's something that is there for us to look at and say, you know what, I can respect it, that person's position, but I can't honor them as somebody who is above integrity and things like that. I can't do it. Okay, I get it. I've been there. I've been there. But it still says this in Scripture, that this is what we're called to do. So what do you do? You sit on your hands? You do nothing? How do we respond to this? See, that's why the focus of these verses is not on the government, but it's on us as believers towards the government. What do we do? Well, we need to respectfully confront Officials who promote evil policies. We're called to do that. Take a look at God's word. Romans 12, the, just the chapter before. Romans 12, verses 14 and 17. Bless those who persecute you. Wow. Bless and do not curse them. He's talking about your enemies. He's talking about people you disagree with who disagree with you. How are we supposed to respond to that? Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. 
I think no one is pretty all-inclusive. All right? But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then in Titus 3, 1 through 2, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So the government is saying something that we disagree with. How do we approach it? We can still confront people, in particular, with those things that are evil. Okay? That's what it's saying. But I want to ask you to do something, and this is something that I have to do better at. Why am I angry? Why am I upset about this? Is it really about God or is it about my wanting to be personally comfortable? Which is it? Do I want to protect my stuff? And so in order to do that, I feel I have to resist the government in this way or that way because what they're doing in my perspective is wrong. And so I'm going to protect my stuff. Really? So I... Where is that in Scripture? Where is it that we should rebel against the government in order to protect our stuff? Like I said, there's things laid out in the Word of God where civil disobedience is appropriate. But that's not one of them. It's if, they, if the government tells us to do something that God forbids or forbids something God commands us to do. But so many times I found, find in my own self that what I'm upset about is my personal comfort, what I want. I earned it. I worked hard, and I earned this. And the government has no right to do this, to take that. Too much taxes, too much this, too much that. So where is that scripturally for me to resist that? Just challenging us. Is it really about God's honor or is it more about our comfort? That's a hard thing to deal with. Now, you understand something here. When I prepared this sermon, I realized this. There is no way I can win on preaching this sermon. I will tick off everyone in this building. Okay? You're going to be mad at me for one thing I said. I guarantee it. I cannot win preaching this message. But the problem is, when you preach through the word of God like we do here, you can't skip over this stuff. And I can't read into it what I want to. My prayer this week was, God, please guard my mouth, guard my heart, because I can be so sinful and want to just speak out of the, the anger in my heart. Lord, I'm presenting your word, and your word says this, and it's pretty clear. So help me do it in a way that will be honoring to your word. But I know that I'm guessing by this point already, I have ticked off every one of you at least one point or another. I would say this, bring it up to God. You know, you can disagree with me. We can have a conversation, but talk to God first and then come and talk to me. Check to make sure that it is not our own selfish reasons why we want to rebel against the government, but that it's truly because we want to honor God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus must be Lord in all things in our life, and that includes 
our political positions. That includes our political positions. Christians should shape and prioritize their political convictions and actions according to the word of God. That's the primary area that we look at, the word of God. Okay, so when it comes to this issue of abortion, where do we stand? Here's a surprise. Abortion is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. Okay? So the issue here is what does God's word say about killing? It's real simple. I mean, you don't have to try to figure that one out. So when it comes to figuring out where you stand politically on certain issues, the first thing you do is you go to God's word. And is it clearly stated in God's word that this is wrong? And if it is, then you have to stand with God's word. You have to if you're a believer. And that's going to really make it uncomfortable for you because it's not just abortion. It's other issues, homosexuality, things like that. Do we stand on God's word? And we should prioritize our political beliefs by using the word of God as the foundation and building off of that. So now we prioritize our political positions according to God's word and then respond accordingly. That's what a Christian needs to do. If something is not a political issue, it's a moral issue that is clearly defined by God's word, then I'll say this. Those issues need to be at the top of your list. Because there's no fudging there and wondering which way God would go. If it says it in God's word, then that is what it needs to be. And we're going to support those areas, those issues, those politicians, whatever it might be. Because God's word is clear. Other areas that are a little less clear, we need to extend grace to each other. You know, like economics, things like that. There's nothing really clear anywhere in the word of God. But brothers and sisters, we are called to be responsible Christians and we are called to be responsible citizens in the country that we live in. We're called to be both because God placed us here in this time, as it says in Esther, for a time such as this. He placed you in this country. He placed you here for a purpose and it's for the glory of his name. Take a look at God's word again to be responsible citizens. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. You see, there's the purpose for government. Right there again. Godly and dignified in every way. Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Wow. The truth of God's word is absolutely cutting. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. What does that mean? That means God's sovereign. He can take any person and turn their heart and cause them to do what he wants them to do, period. It doesn't matter who they are. King Nebuchadnezzar ruled the world, and God just went like that. Egypt, the most powerful nation at that time. And God said, no, you're going to let my people go. And then in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are lights of this world, the gospel alive to lost people. And God placed us here for his purposes. He said, you're going to be a good Christian, but you need to be a good citizen in the country that you're living in. That's just what you're called to do. So what does that mean politically for us as God's people? It means we need to be informed. Find out who believes what. What politician believes what. Figure out what they believe in. Start with your priority issues. And if you can't get past that, they're on the opposite side of that, then you kind of know which direction you got to go. It's pretty open and closed. And then do this in America. Vote. Go vote. Get out there and vote. Vote for the people and issues that best uphold Christian values. I'm going to tell you a little secret about me. I feel this way. If you voted, you can complain and do whatever you want. But if you didn't vote, I don't want to hear your comments. Because you didn't even take advantage of what God has provided for you. And you didn't want to vote, I don't care what you think. Honestly, that's how I feel. I just feel, hey, you didn't even care about going down and voting. And now you're complaining about what's here. You got no right. That may be totally wrong and sinful in my heart, but I'm just telling you really where I'm at. And so that's why a lot of times when people say something, I'll look at them and say, well, did you vote? Well, uh, no. Okay, then I want to hear it. You couldn't even put yourself out of 20 minutes once every two years. So God has placed you in a nation that has given us an ability to vote and have an effect on the people that are in office. And you say, but we can't even trust the voting system anymore. Here's, a, here's something. It doesn't matter. What? Because who is sovereign over all things? God. God is sovereign. And he's got purposes that I cannot understand. And I don't, I'm not supporting that. I'm just saying, I get it, because I've been there. And you say, you know what? I'm going to go out, and I'm going to vote, and I'm going to trust that God is going to put whoever it is in charge. Even if it's done in a crooked way, God is still sovereign. Either he is or he isn't, guys. That's a struggle for us. So God is sovereign. And I want to tell you this, that neither party is thoroughly biblical. There's a mixture of good and evil in both parties. That's why I say you need to be informed. What does that person believe? What are your priorities, first of all, before you even look? And then once you decide, who am I going to vote for? Then you go right down there and you say, well, where do they stand on this? Where do they stand on this? Well, I can't get past these two because these are moral issues and they are lined up in God's work. But my parents always voted this way. It doesn't matter. What does God's word say? And vote for according to your conscience. That's the point he's making in Romans chapter 7. Five through seven. Have a good conscience. So vote. Another thing that we're called to do as Christians, as good citizens, is we're called to pray for our country. Pray for the country. And pray that God's purposes would triumph over evil person's plans. Pray that God would triumph. So we're called to pray. We're called to be informed and to vote because we live in America as good citizens. And we're called to engage our culture. 
not withdraw in despair, but we're to reach out and show Christian love. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12 in the verses that I laid out. We're called to love people, love our enemies. How do we do that? I want you to know that we engage culture. We don't run away. And part of that is this. Persuasively explain your ethical and moral convictions to others. Do this, especially your children and your grandchildren. They might, may not always receive it, but they need to know why you believe what you believe and base it on the word of God. You need to engage in that way. They may not be open to receive it, but praise God if he, that he'll give you the opportunities if you ask him. Because if you don't, if you don't do that, if you don't lay down, this is why I vote the way I do, because God's word says this, and I want you to know that. And it's important. Well, what about these other issues? I'm not saying they're not important, but this is my top two issues. Bottom line is most people are one-issue voters anyway. Let's just be honest. Maybe two. So what's your priorities? Are you willing to look the other way? So explain to your children and your grandchildren, or they'll turn to the world and accept the world's views and beliefs instead. Wow. We're first citizens of heaven with a mandate to magnify Jesus on the earth in all things. At the place that we work, the church that we worship at, in our neighborhoods, and also in our government. We're called to magnify Jesus in all things in our lives. He is the Lord, not us. And we need to submit to God by submitting and cooperating with authority over us whenever possible. There might be times when we can't, especially coming up. There might be times when we have to stand strong, what God's word says. But we know this, that even under the most hostile forms of government, the gospel has always produced fruit. It's always produced fruit. So you look at some of the most, uh, the countries who are most anti-Christian, the government, and you look at what happened to the gospel in those countries, it has exploded. We talked about this last week about Rome. You know, they were, they were taking the Christians and bringing them into the Colosseum, and they were slaughtering the Christians. And they brought one guy up, in particular, Ignatius of Antioch, and he's just standing in the middle there, and he's not afraid to die, and he's praising God. And what happens is, is that the people in Rome were just shocked because there was nothing they could die for. What they felt after they died was that it was something like a, a purgatory, a dark place. Here's somebody willing to die for something they believed in, and they could not relate to that. And they said, this has to be real, because they're willing to suffer for what they believe. And Christianity exploded in the Roman Empire. China, Christianity, the, the churches that are going on, in, uh, uh, that are happening. In Korea, over and over throughout history, we see that the governments that are most hostile to Christianity is where we see the Spirit of God moving in people. So let's trust God. Let's trust Him. 
Because here's the truth when we get right down to it where we live. Our hope is in God and the gospel, not in government officials or in political power. It's not. And you know why? Because every earthly government is temporary. But Jesus' rule and reign is eternal. That's why. We're going home. And Jesus will rule and reign for all eternity. And will always be a holy, pure, righteous reign. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, just a hard word. Not because it's, uh, it's difficult to understand, but it's difficult to receive in our hearts, in my heart, God. I can be so rebellious. I can try to fashion my arguments because of what I want rather than looking at your word. So God, would you work in us your heart? Lord, take these verses and sink them deep into our hearts. Bring conviction where conviction is needed. And Lord, whatever happens in the future, would you give us the strength and courage to stand on our convictions, whatever the cost might be, so that your name would be exalted and glorified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship.